Thank you for listening to the Manhattan Church of Christ. This podcast comes from the audio recording of our live Sunday morning worship services via Zoom and YouTube. For more information about our church, visit our website at www.manhattanchurch.org. I want to welcome everybody, and I want to thank all of you who are with us through Zoom, and also those who are with us on YouTube for this time of, of worship and reflection. We are at the last week of a time of preparation for our congregation that Paul and his wonderful prayer um, mentioned as we're preparing for our retreat. It's, a, it's going to be a completely online retreat, a virus-aware congregational retreat that's coming this next, next weekend. We, become, we begin this coming Friday uh, evening, and there's going to be elements of the retreat for you to participate in all day Saturday and into uh, Sunday at the time of our of our worship next Sunday. And so it'll have the same basic kind of time span that a, that a typical retreat has had. But uh, obviously all of us are, since we come, are coming online, we're free to come and go and take advantage of different parts of the of the retreat as, as we can. So we hope that you'll set aside as much time as you can to join with your sisters and brothers uh, in a time, uh, a time that we hope will be a time of reflection, a time of real fellowship, a time of conversation, a time of worship, as we try to share our experiences, our faith, our, uh, our spiritual life uh, in this time that puts just so much stress on uh, every part of our lives. The theme of our retreat, as we've mentioned numerous times already is in the past, is life with God through the wilderness. The, the idea of the wilderness or the desert, and today the message is called bread of life in a desert. That idea of the wilderness or the desert is of course an image, as we've mentioned, that comes from Israel's journey through the wilderness as they, they passed from the time of their exodus in Egypt and deliverance at the Red Sea through the Sinai wilderness and before they reached the reality of God's life, the life that God had prepared for them in, a, in a, the, quote, promised land, as it was called. It was a time when everything about them as individuals and as a people was tested and was challenged. They looked back on it as you go on through the scriptures and you read references to this, this time in the wilderness. They looked back on it and they looked back on it again and again all across their history as they reflected on these things and it became part of the scriptures. And they knew and they asserted emphatically that they had not done well in the wilderness. In fact, Israel's scriptures emphasize repeatedly their failure, failures in the wilderness. But they nevertheless believed that the experience had molded them and had shaped them as a people. As a people who were delivered by God from oppressing slavery, but were now in a wilderness. As a people learning to live with a living God, not just a 
God that was sort of under your control, or at least under your king's control in, in Egypt, but a living God who was not simply their assistant, but the God of the whole cosmos, including the present desert, the present wilderness where they were, and all of their past and all of their future. God was very challenging to them every step of the way through that desert, from the shores of the Red Sea to the vast expanses in, in Sinai Desert without food or water, to dangerous desert tribes that threatened violence and death and new enslavement. But that challenging God that they had to deal with was also a God of mercy and grace and life who fed them and led them and protected them and created a way to be in their midst all through the journey through that desert that surrounded them and even more through the desert wilderness that arose within them in their own minds and hearts as they faced so many difficulties and uncertainties as a people all through Israel's history, continuing right on down into the New Testament, they retold and reflected on this shaping, testing, learning period as they continued their journey of life. They were always reprocessing it, as it were, as they journeyed through life and ever-changing wildernesses, new experiences, new challenges, new difficulties, all the way and got tested again and again in new generations. As they journeyed along with, in that life with a living God who delivers them and gives life, but who also challenges them and leads them through, not around the wilderness, and who opens their eyes, our eyes, to see possibilities that they, that we had never seen before. I think one of the most important things that the whole narrative of Israel's life with God through the wilderness showed Israel and all of us later generations as we reprocess it and think about it and learn from it is how is the is how the the dangers how the troubles in the wilderness take over our whole field of view everything that we can see as we look around that's what happened to Israel that's what has happened again and again in the story of Israel and to us and in the New Testament and right on down to our own times. The uncertainties, the dangers, the things we can't grasp, the vulnerabilities that like Paul was praying about in, in his prayer. All these vulnerabilities that we, that we face, the injustices that threaten us, threaten others around us, that threaten our whole our whole society, our life, the sense of things out of control, the losses, the potential losses, the overwhelming tasks, <sighs> the lack of tasks, the, our sense that we don't deserve this, our longing for almost any kind of security, just an end to it all that these things become the whole of reality to them. They're things that they could see that we can see everywhere. We can see them around us in our experience. They invade every conversation. 
but more, like it was with Israel, they invade our hearts, our vision of reality from within. They sap our strength from within. They lead us toward despair and a sense of powerlessness. From all that we can see around us when we focus on these things, there's no way out. There's no resources to help. We're, we're in a wilderness. There's nothing to do but fight. And usually we fight with each other for scarce resources and diminishing corrupted power. There's one scripture that we're going to be focusing on in our, in our retreat that is beyond those that we read, were read uh, just a few moments ago so beautifully by, by Margaret and Scott. And that is Psalm 46. It's a song of great reassurance but it's set within the experience of a wilderness of uncertainty, not just in the time of the wilderness in, in Sinai, but that larger wilderness inside people as they look at the world around them and seeing it, see it fall apart. If you have a Bible, turn to Psalm 46. I'm going to be reading it basically close to the New Revised Standard Version. God is our refuge and strength a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. We will not be afraid. Though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam, though the mountains tremble with its tumult, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. God will help it when the morning dawns. The nations are in an uproar. The kingdoms totter. He utters his voice. The earth melts. Yahweh of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. Come, behold the works of Yahweh. See what he destroys in the earth. He makes wars cease to the ends of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. Be still. And know that I am God. I am exalted among the nations. I am exalted in the earth. Yahweh of hosts is with us. The God of Jacob is our refuge. The psalm expresses that fundamental challenge that we face again and again. The wilderness and its chaotic dangers are real, and they are really dangerous. Yes, as the psalmist says, even the earth can change. The mountains shake in the, in the heart of the sea. The waters roar and foam, and the mountains tremble with its tumult. The nations may be in uproar, and kingdoms can totter. Violence, weapons, wars can threaten. There's no doubt that we humans are vulnerable to all kinds of troubles. But can we see more 
Does our danger become our whole reality? Or can we perceive the far larger true reality of God? Like we were talking about when we were talking about 1 John a, a few weeks ago. For example, those first verses of Psalm 46. God is our refuge and strength, a very present help in trouble. Therefore, we will not be afraid. Though the earth should change, though the mountains shake in the heart of the sea. Faith is opening our eyes wider, looking up, looking down, not minimizing the troubles and dangers or the injustices and wrongs and violence, not settling for deceptions and falsehoods, but realizing that all of our human experiences, all of them, all of our vulnerabilities are within the vast reality of God. Learning to let that reality of God be present with us and within us. Learning to let it shape our per perception and our response to the wilderness all around us. Verses four and five of that Psalm. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God. Now one could think when talking about the city of God that it's simply talking about Jerusalem. But there aren't any rivers flowing through Jerusalem. This is Jerusalem raised to a greater level. This is God's rule, God's reign in his world. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of God, the holy habitation of the Most High. God is in the midst of the city. It shall not be moved. The more clearly you see and know that God, that God, the more clearly you can see the challenge of our wilderness and begin perceiving how to live actively within it. The psalmist could see the uproar of, of nations, but could also see the God who, as he says, makes wars cease to the end of the earth. He breaks the bow and shatters the spear. He burns the shields with fire. That's what God is doing. And for the psalmist, it's a call to share in that work of God. We can help break those, shatter the spears, make all our various wars cease to the ends of the earth. Uh, but no, we can't. Our bows and our spears and our wars are all we've got. They're how we get ahead in the wilderness, how we stave off our vulnerability, how we show that we're in control. We work harder. We get more. We, we strengthen our group against other groups. We, we get scarce resources for our use. If we don't, we'll fall behind. We'll die. The psalmist says we're blind to true reality, to the reality of the God who creates and encompasses all sides of us, all of us, on all sides in these blinkered battles that we rage in the dark. And so he says, it's a word that can mean relax, be, be still. But then the key phrase, 
and know, know that I am God. I am exalted, not just over you in the desert, not just your group. I am exalted among all the Gentiles, all the nations, everybody. I am exalted in the earth. This whole is mine and my doing. Margaret and Scott read so beautifully for us the account in Exodus, the 16th chapter, the first five verses there, of God giving Israel the manna in the desert, the bread to keep them alive. It sort of starts us on the path of this message of bread of life in a desert. The bread of life that God could give to them when they could not expect it. But notice how much emphasis in that narrative, if you open your Bible and go to, go to it, how much emphasis in that narrative is, is given to the grumbling of the people of Israel, who had only a month earlier been saved out of slavery in Egypt by being saved from death in the Passover, that last plague, and had been saved from slaughter by the parting of the sea to defeat the violence of Pharaoh. That as, as the Israelites told the stories, it's, it's part of the, their narrative. They wanted us to see how easy it was not to see, to become blind, not to remember. They're like all us humans. The trouble of the present situation fills our entire vision so that they could see nothing else, and so often we can see nothing else. A month ago is too long ago to remember. The future may never come. The future will never come. There's no way out. It's unfair to us. We're hungry. We're suffering. We're going to die. And so in that just amazing verse there, verse 3, uh, three of, of Exodus 16, and the people of Israel said to Moses and Aaron, we wish that Yahweh's hand had killed us in the land of Egypt while we were still sitting by the meat pots and ate bread to the full. You've brought us out into this wilderness to kill the, this whole assembly with hunger. It's really easy to condemn these grumblers. That's obvious. That always was obvious, but in a very real sense there, their complaints are understandable. We can excuse them. These are freed slaves who've always been vulnerable to people and to situations of injustice and violence all around them. We can excuse them. They haven't had time to learn. We can excuse them. This is Israel telling their own story, of course. And what the narrative teaches us emphatically is that their grasp of reality was not true reality. It was only a limited sliver of the whole. The troubles of their circumstances were very real indeed. That desert is a killing desert. People don't live there, much less a gigantic group of escaped slaves but it was only a sliver. 
The troubles of their circumstances overwhelmed them, blocked their memory, shriveled their hope, withered whatever growing faith they had. But the God of surprise, the God of creation, the God of the future, the God of hope broke in. Look, God said to Moses, I'm about to do something you could never have imagined. I'm about to rain bread from heaven. This was that manna, a bread of life so remarkable they didn't know what it is. And so it got the name manna, meaning what is it? And it began to teach the people what they had been learning to remind them things that they had already experienced that the real world that includes God has far more resources than just the desert sands, though it includes even the desert sands and rocks. It started shaping anew their experience also within of time and Sabbath of how everything, all of life belongs within the realm of God. And as you fast forward to the end of the journey and to the speech of Moses right at the very end of the journey in Deuteronomy, he reflects back on, on that in Deuteronomy chapter 8, verses 2 and 3, which was referred to in, in the prayer of, of Brueggemann that we had this morning. He says, remember the long way that Yahweh your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness, in order to teach you humility, training you in order to know what's in your heart, whether you'll keep his commandments. He taught you humility and let you experience hunger. And he fed you with manna, which neither you nor your ancestors had ever known, in order that you may know that the human being will not gain life by bread alone. But the human, the Adam, as the Hebrew has it, will gain life by everything that comes from the mouth of Yahweh. What did the manna mean? It meant that all of us humans are not going to gain real life by the bread we have, by all the stuff that we have in our control. Yes, our stuff, our bread is important to us, but, but it's a tiny part of the great reality in which we live. The human will gain life by everything that comes from the mouth of God. Remember that Jesus quoted from this very passage when he was in the wilderness, being put to the test at the very beginning of his ministry. And when the tester, usually translated the tempter, but it is the word for testing, when the tester approached, he said to Jesus, if you're, the son, if you're God's son, tell these stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus answered, it's written, the human being will not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes forth from God's mouth. The challenge is, 
to see the visible in all its own reality and in its potential danger and to take that threat seriously, certainly, but not let it blind us to the reality of God, far greater and more challenging and more gracious to us than all the surrounding circumstances and threats. The challenge is learning to live day by day actively in all that we do, in the ways that we interact with others, in the way we perceive others and our lives and our work and all of it, to live day by day in that encompassing reality of God. We put our finger down in one of the Psalms that talks about this. Psalm 78 is a great example. Psalm 78 helped Israel to reflect on the meaning of their own narrow perception and what they had learned. The psalmist says, this is Psalm 78, verses 18 and 19, and then 22 through 25. They tested God in their heart by demanding the food they desired. They spoke against God, saying, can God spread a table in the wilderness? They had no faith in God and did not trust his power to deliver. Yet, he commanded the clouds above and opened the doors of heaven. He rained down on the manna to eat and gave them the grain of heaven. Humans ate the bread of angels. He sent them food in abundance. God was not far away. And linked the event of God's, to, to God's gift, that is the event of the feeding of the 5,000, to God's gift of the manna in the wilderness back in Exodus, and to the nature of true bread of life. Perhaps people were thinking about the Exodus because it was, as John tells us, just before Passover time, the great feast that Passover had become. The situation is defined in Jesus' experience and the experience of the disciples by the overwhelming needs of the people who followed him, who chased after Jesus wherever he went. Jesus healed sick people. Nobody else really could do that. Not even the physicians of that time, since there was so very little grasp of the nature of sickness. If you were sick or you had someone dear who was sick, and you heard about it, it was a ray of hope. You had to get to Jesus, not to hear his teachings, not to understand his announcement of the kingdom of God. Yes, you were impressed by reports of his power, but, but you didn't ask particularly larger questions. You just got to the crowd, you got in line, you had something you wanted, something you needed now, healing. Jesus crossed and recross the Sea of Galilee, seeking a moment, sometimes alone, sometimes with his disciples. But scouts from the crowds always spotted him, and the throngs pursued him, even up into the hills and mountains. And at this Passover time, Jesus is up in those hills with his disciples, likely teaching them. John tells us, John chapter 6, verse 5, so it happened when Jesus raised up his eyes, there he is sitting there in the hills, maybe in a little valley uh, up, up in, the, in the hills and uh, teaching his disciples around him. And he lifts up his eyes and he observed that great crowd was coming toward them. Huge crowd surging up the hill toward them. 
he said to Philip, where should we buy loaves of bread so that these people may eat? Put yourself in Philip's place. We're up in the hills sitting with Jesus. The throngs keep coming. How did I get the assignment to find somehow to buy bread for this crowd? Just look at them, sick, needy, all wanting something. It's hopeless. So it says in John chapter six, verse seven, Philip answered him, loaves costing 200 denarii aren't enough so that each one can get a little. A denarius was a day's wage for a laborer. 200 denarii, that's about eight months wages. I'm, I'm sorry, I don't have that kind of money on me. And that would only then get them a small snack. It's impossible, isn't it? Now the disciples, the other disciples have heard Jesus and as the crowd comes on, they get busy. John tells us that Andrew, Peter's brother, did find a young boy who maybe it was his parents had given him some food for the day. There were five barley loaves. Don't think of big loaves. Think of more like rolls. And barley was the, the grain that the poor ate is over against wheat. And he has two small fish. They're actually defined as small in the text. And I don't know, you can imagine two small tilapia from the, from the, from the lake where these fish grow in abundance. Andrew dutifully brought them to Jesus, but only to emphasize how hopeless the circumstances were. As he asked, what are they for so many people? Now you and I, of course, we, we know the end of the story. And so we can feel superior to these disciples, but they're just us humans in the wilderness. Our troubles, our circumstances limit what we can see, what we can imagine. What, what would you have done if you had been there among the disciples? Now, see, I, I think I could have done pretty well in that, that circumstance. You know, when I, when I think about my best self in that circumstance, I, I think I would have had an idea. <clears throat> if there was one kid who had a lunch, probably others may too. Uh, I'd, I'd say to Jesus, let's have them all raise their hand and if they have any food with them. And then we'll go out and we'll gather it all up and make them share it so that as we send them away, they'll all at least have a bite to give them some strength to climb back down the hills and go home. Not bad, huh? Good idea. Fair. Sort of. I think about that boy wondering what was going, going on as he handed over his lunch. <laughs> Is Jesus going to just eat it? Well, at least my idea makes the best of what we have. I'm better than Philip and Andrew, at least. That's the question, though. What do we have? When we look out at that crowd, what do we see? Philip and Andrew and I, we see trouble. 
We see a problem. We see hungry, demanding people. We see no resources. We're trying our best to make do. That's the difference about Jesus. What Jesus was wanting his disciples to learn, what Israel long ago needed to learn, what John is wanting us to see. Jesus sees. He lives in that far larger reality. The reality of God encompassing every trouble, every lack of resource, every need, every hope. He sees the resources of God's creative power and generosity and grace. The true reality, the resources of the creator God of love. The grace of God is beyond anything you imagine when you just look at the possibilities of the wilderness around you. Yeah. God is real. Know that I am God. You really are, whether you know it or not, living in the midst of life-giving bread. The, perhaps the little noted uh, hero of the story is that little boy who lets go of his lunch. I always imagine it in a brown paper bag, though obviously that's wrong, but, but and who lets go of it and gives it to Jesus. He could have said, no, thank you, I'll eat my lunch. He would have had an adequate lunch. And that's what most of us do. We have resources, we have them. They're ours, and we eat our lunch. We don't release it. We don't hand it over to Jesus. The little boy lost control of his lunch, but he gained a, a meal far larger than he could eat. Jesus hopes his disciples on that day and all of those after. All of us have eyes to see. Jesus doesn't do a big performance. He just simply says, have everybody recline on the grass. Now, this word recline is a special way that one lay down on one side at the Passover meal. You normally didn't do that. It required a cushion, but of course on the grass, they make do with the grass. Recline like you do at Passover feast. And there's no fanfare. There's no alaka jam and here's a big banquet. There are no magic words, no suddenly appearing stuff. Like the manna that came while everyone was sleeping, Jesus simply gives thanks and starts distributing the loaves, distributing the fish, and distributing, and distributing, and distributing. They eat, and they eat, till they can't eat anymore. 12 baskets of more than enough were picked up. Now, I can't blame Philip and Andrew or me for not seeing all of that in advance. Who could have predicted it? It's hard for us 
humans to see the true reality of God when we're blinkered by the wilderness troubles around us. It has always been hard, but God has always been there. God's creative power, God's resources, God's love, God's grace. Grace is ready, as Paul said, to be made perfect in our weakness. What's in your resources, in your needs? What is there there that you can bring to Jesus? To learn to see them through his eyes, to see them within that true reality. The challenge is always to see through and beyond what our whole world tells us is the totality of reality. Think about the Lord's Supper, and we are going to conclude with the Lord's Supper together. The Lord's Supper is a little recreation of Passover and of Jesus feeding us in our needs. As the discussion of that feeding of the 5,000 unfolds in the rest of, of John chapter 6, Jesus challenges his hearers to realize that it's not the bread that they ate that's the real bread of life. It is himself, that he is the window through which to see that reality of God, that true reality, that he himself embodies the life-giving nourishment of bread in the wilderness. John chapter 6, verse 35, Jesus said to them, I am the bread of life. One who comes to me will never hunger. And one who believes in me will certainly never thirst. And then beginning in verse 47 and going down through verse 51. Very truly, I'm telling you, whoever believes possesses life of the age to come. I am the bread of life. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and died. This is the bread that comes down from heaven in order that one may eat of it and not die. I am the living bread that comes down from heaven. Anyone who eats of this bread will live into the age to come. And the bread that I will give is my flesh for the life of the cosmos, the life of the world. And so here we gather. We gather with whatever bread, whatever drink you have representing God's blessings to you. Bread is such a remarkable thing. I just have a little fragment of some brown bread here. But every bit of bread combines uh, grain and sun and soil and water from the whole earth from the power of the sun coming down. It, it combines discovery of human beings of how to make bread. It, it combines somebody doing the work of grinding the wheat and somebody kneading it together and somebody baking it and knowing how to do it. 
it combines stories and traditions and culture reaching all the way back through the history of, of humanity. It gives life by being broken off. If I just leave it in the whole loaf and let it sit on the counter, it, <laughs> even if I bought really good bread from the store, it's going to mold and rot. I have to break off a piece and I have to take it into myself. And then the whole body sets to work and it takes it in and it takes it apart and it feeds different parts of my body and this bread becomes me. How does Jesus, Jesus said, how does he affect us? How is he the bread of life? He's the one who comes and takes in all of the experiences of our humanity, all the brokenness of it, all the creativity of it, all that we are. But he also brings into it, into it the life of God. And that life of God mingled with our humanity creates a new experience of life, a new possibility of life, a new expression of that true deep reality of God that God's been pointing to all along. But again, if it just stays outside, it doesn't nourish. You have to take him into yourself. You have to let him permeate you, who you are, the way you see, what you think, how you evaluate, how you love how you serve, how you seek justice, how you help others, all kinds of ways. It has to become you. And so we, at this time, we've been given the gift of bread and, and wine by Jesus as our way of breaking down the barriers of our forgetfulness. We bring ourselves we bring our pandemic. We bring the injustice of our times. We bring our rage. We bring our anxieties. We bring our overwork, our underemployment, our unemployment, our stress, our stress, our stress. We bring our ideas. We bring our creativity. We bring the best of our goodness. We bring our service. We bring our intelligence, searching the world. We bring our questions, our faith, our hopes, our love, and we hand them over. We don't really know what Jesus will do with them. He holds out to us a little Passover bit of bread and a drink of wine. He says, this is me, my body my blood. You give me you. I give you me. And with me, in me, I give you true reality, the life of God, the life of the age to come. In the midst of whatever wilderness you endure, I'll let you, I'll help you see beyond. I'll show you more. Nothing can separate you from my love. Be still.
and know that I am God. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, as we receive this bread, we see and feel its reality in front of us. But we see through it to the bread of life in all the wildernesses of our lives. We see through it to the cross. We see through it to the resurrection. We know the very life of Jesus that he gives us in this wine. Help us, Heavenly Father, that we may truly give ourselves as we receive his gift of himself to us. That we may know that we live within your life, your bread of life all around us. And we may learn every day to live more and more in that abundance of life. In the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.